Hi listeners, this is Jay from the Existential Neuron Podcast and welcome to the first episode. In this episode, I interview Mr. Andreas Forslen, the CEO of Cognition, a neurotech company that specializes in brain-computer interfaces for assistive technology. In this episode, we talk about bridging the gap between the abled and disabled. We also talk about Neuralink and the differences between the American and Canadian work culture. I hope the podcast is as enriching for y'all as it was for me recording. Let's begin. One. So, uh, hi, Mr. Forslin. Welcome to the Existential Neuron Podcast. Uh, how's your day been? Oh, my day's going great. How was yours? Uh, mine's going pretty good. Good to know that. And I really want to kick off this interview talking about how cognition started. I've understood that you have a very human cause with cognition, sort of bridging the gaps between the disabled and the able. And I feel like the origins are as fascinating as a cause itself. So do you want to like elaborate on the origins of cognition? What motivated you and how is it going? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, cognition is uh, a little bit of background. So cognition is a neurotechnology company uh, and we're focused on uh, building uh, accessibility solutions for individuals with disabilities uh, to be able to communicate and control the world around them. Uh, right now, we are preparing to uh, launch a new product uh, which combines uh, BCI, which is a brain-computer interface, uh, which is a wearable headset that has electrodes on it that are detecting your brain waves, uh, and it's combined with a heads-up display uh, called augmented reality. And so this combined system of a BCI with augmented reality together uh, is a complete end-to-end uh, -end solution uh, for someone to be able to use their brain waves <clears throat> uh, to control an application in augmented reality. Uh, that the application itself can generate speech uh, or send controls to other systems like smart home controls or motorized wheelchairs or other uh, intelligent systems and robots. So it's a really fascinating piece of technology. There's a lot of science involved. Um, and it's, it, it's a really remarkable kind of product uh, to address a very large need for individuals with communication and physical disabilities. So that's what we're working on at Cognition. Uh, you can learn more about it uh, by going to the website one.cognition.com, O-N-E.cognition.com. Uh, but how did we get here? <laughs> so going back, uh, you know, my background personally uh, is in human factors and user experience design. Uh, so I'm not a neuroscientist uh, or an engineer, but I've always worked in technology. Uh, so. Um, but what got me into this field uh, was a personal situation where back in 2012, my mom had uh, developed pneumonia and she was admitted into the hospital uh, and she had to be intubated uh, with ventilation. Uh, and by being intubated, it means that she's unable to verbally speak uh, or really do much in the way of controlling things with her body. So I was confronted with her temporary disability through that experience in the hospital. And uh, when I learned that there were literally millions of people 
in the United States that are admitted into hospitals for the same kind of respiratory failure where they're temporarily uh, experiencing a loss of communication and control. It really got me thinking about the bigger sort of systemic problem. And I was thinking, is this something that a lot of people are working on or solving, or is it kind of not necessarily addressed or addressed very well? As a course of investigating uh, her situation and other people like hers, um, many people and organizations came out of the woodwork uh, and were asking us if some of our early concepts of technology, we were developing a gesture controller that could be a trigger for communication at the time. Uh, many different communities ranging from autism to cerebral palsy, ALS organizations, uh, even the deaf and blind uh, organizations were coming to us. And in fact, we developed an early uh, prototype of a gesture controller uh, and then later created an app that could be run on an uh, iPhone or iPad or Apple Watch that people could do different swipes on the screen uh, as gesture recognition swipes as shortcuts to say phrases out loud. That product ended up uh, getting a lot of attention uh, and you know, schools and school districts around the world uh, were using and are using that application uh, in classrooms uh, with people with special needs. Um, and so, you know, the origin was really sort of solving a, a, a small problem, but we realized that lots and lots of people, hundreds of millions of people, in fact, around the world uh, have disabilities uh, that affect their ability to verbally communicate or physically control their limbs or the world around them. That's, that's honestly, that's very awesome. It's like you start from this very personal and intimate so zone and like it gets global. Like sometimes, you know, they say that the best ideas come from the most personal circumstances. That's really, really incredible. I, yeah, you know, I think that's right. You know, and you know, what, what's interesting is, um, you know, there's kind of two ways of salt, you know, addressing or creating solutions. One is by taking a more academic approach and, and, you know, like you might find in an MBA program where you analyze a market uh, and you identify opportunities in that market and you kind of take a market first approach. Um, there's another, which is like mine, which, um, you know, I, I sort of was triggered by a personal situation that caused me to pay attention to a market that wasn't really being a paid attention to by um, globally minded uh, individuals, right? So most people and most companies that are in the assistive technology industry uh, are much smaller, right? It's, it's, a, it's an industry of lots of smaller point solutions that solve really unique problems. Um, but what we realized was that there really wasn't a platform uh, that lots and lots of people could use and personalize for their needs. There were just, you know, hundreds of different kinds of products that people didn't really know about, or, you know, if they had to try and find the right kind of product for them, it would be a real ordeal and very complicated to try and find something. So uh, the way we approached it is we wanted to create something that could be more universal, you know, that many people could use, uh, and then they could also tailor it to their specific uh, needs, whether those are cognitive uh, augmentation needs or even physical uh, augmentation needs. That's, that's incredible. And, uh, you know, I was just, uh, I was reading uh, Yuval Noah Harari's 21 Lessons for 21st Century. 
and one of the ideas that he talks about is the integration of the biology and the engineering where we're trying to solve biological problems by integrating them with like engineering and computational solutions mm-hmm. and i can truly see that in cognition where you have all the brain bci the brain computer interface that's in application so just want to know from you like how is the future like according to you from an entrepreneur from a ceo how do you see the future of this idea that the biology and the engineering are, are going to go hand in hand to solve like human problems um yeah i think it's it sort of it's an interesting question right um and at some point uh you're going to have to uh understand who is the lead and who's the supporting role right and so in some cases technology leads and in another case you know and the human follows and in in other cases the human is the lead and technology supports the human and so you know i think a lot of people like kurzweil and others have um written a lot about you know singularity and these other things around you know the symbiosis of technology and and humanity uh you know but there's a lot of sort of pessimism you know there's sort of a dystopian view of of that symbiosis and then there's a utopian view of that you know and i think we lean more towards the utopian view where technology needs to be developed in service of the human right so um enhancing the human um to achieve things that they are hoping to achieve right um as opposed to you know other views of how technology could could modify the human or what have you so um you know when we see this you know there's other companies like neuralink that are working on implants and you know there, there's a lot of different companies in neurotechnology right now that are starting to emerge that are doing different things to augment um humanity right or to augment the body um most of it's in the area of learning more about the body right so a lot of the technology that's out there is the first step is to understand the brain better and to understand the nervous system better um you know uh for us what we're trying to do is establish a first sort of beachhead you know what's that first instantiation of a viable uh human machine control interface that does not require surgery <laughs> you know uh you know because ultimately you know, i i kind of love what you know elon musk is doing with neuralink and, and you know uh but it's going to serve a i think a really small but important part of the market you know uh, ultimately the main headway is or excuse me the headwinds are going to be anyone who wants to do uh voluntary you know surgery you know um most people won't get to, you know uh piercings let alone have their skull drilled a hole drilled in their skull right so um so i think as much hyperbole as there is around the potential of a, a direct brain computer interface that's implantable we've taken the tack to say cognition wants to be the leader in non-invasive wearable uh brain computer interface technology um that can be used to truly augment a user so um I think you're going to see the future where you have two sort of categories you you have um deeply integrated you know deeply integrated systems in biology uh and then you're going to have minimally invasive or non-invasive uh systems and our approach has been to stay on the non-invasive side. Yeah that's it's honestly fascinating this this notion now that you brought up neuralink 
it was honestly not in my mind but i was just thinking so i was watching like the demo by elon musk and it's very mind blowing firstly but he talked about this idea that as neuralink gets more popular the idea of verbal communication is going to be eradicated it's the fact that you can just communicate through signals and impulses and this made me think in context of cognition because because cognition is about bridging the communication gap between the able and the disabled right so how do you see the importance or the use or the importance of cognition in the long run where we're entering this world where there's no idea of verbal communication as of sorts it's just going to be like through signals yeah well it's it's interesting that you say that right because what we're the way we look at that is uh, um it's kind of a first principles approach but it you know communication is really just um an expression of an intention right uh and and speech itself is an outcome but truly the outcome is what happens when the recipient of the speech does something with the speech right so if i say you know uh you know if i say hey could would you like to have lunch today right the outcome would be you would respond and say yes and then we would go have lunch so <clears throat> my intention is that i'm hungry right uh, i don't have to say i'm hungry i can say let's go grab lunch and you know i'm hungry right um and so if you think about this um ultimately what we're trying to do is understand intention and find the shortest path to an outcome right um and so if you think about this idea of intentions and outcomes at cognition we're trying to reframe the idea of an io the io is the interactive user interface for inputs and outputs um ultimately the human to human or human to third party systems is really a giant io that needs to do a better job of understanding uh, uh intentions uh and uh directing those intentions to specific outcomes right and so for us communication is the current way we describe it um but ultimately that's just a manifest manifestation of the transfer of data right communication is a vessel by which you'd package an intention and send it to an outcome um so i think he's right in the in in regards to saying well you know if you were to able to have a direct you know brain to brain communication over a network then communication as it's defined in the dictionary would go away right the need for verbal speech would go away you know in some regards right in that theoretical future um but then the question would be how do you actually translate um intention you know you know visceral like pulses like neural signals that are based on inferring intention and how would you correlate those to outputs right that are nonverbal um and so having a having kind of this universal system that can understand can process and understand intentions and can process and understand different um appropriate outcomes and then have a contextual awareness layer that goes with it um that can help uh increase the accuracy of the predictions of those outcomes is really critical and that's actually some work that we've done at cognition that we've you know we filed patents you know years ago around this notion of um a method for um intention detection across a number of different kinds of um biological systems uh, and interfaces and how they could correspond with 
uh, a network of outcomes uh, and being able to have uh, a context aware um, engine essentially that helps uh, deal with processing and understanding uh, those correlations. So, so we've been thinking about this for a while and in fact actually have created some IP around it. Um, but our first product, Cognition One, is really kind of the first, you know, it's the first example uh, of something that we could build that demonstrates uh, the potential of that. Got it. So uh, looking at the design of the Cognition One, it's a very like, it's a very like big machine or it's a very big device. Uh, do you aspire to like shorten it in the future years, like make it more concise? You mean just miniaturizing the- Yeah, min miniaturizing the, or making it more compact? I'm just curious. Absolutely. Um, I mean, those are, those are some pretty dynamic um, requirements though, <laughs> you know? Um, right, so you're creating essentially a, a closed loop system um, and we're attempting to control as many of those variables ourselves as we can. Um, and so what you're looking at is you know, uh, a set of, you know, physics, you know, uh, atomic and electrical <laughs> constraints that we're dealing with. Um, and then also budgetary constraints, right? You know, so oh, yeah, to, take things, to, to take things to the next level of miniaturization, um, you would have to spend a lot more money than what we've spent uh, in product development um, I, to get there. I, I was just getting it like maybe like long term, maybe in like the next mm -hmm. like 20 years or some like in the radical long term. I was just curious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I see what we're doing as the the core, uh, the core uh, architecture, like so architecturally what we've established is represented in this headset. But we've thought through in advance of what how this architecture could scale to a radically smaller form factor. Um, so as a step function, like what we've created could also be miniaturized into a pair of glasses with a, with a, with a baseball cap or embedded sensors within the glasses. Um, you know, beyond that, our system could work with, um, contact lenses, uh, with subcutaneous implants. So if you wanted to implant, uh, electrodes under the skin, uh, but above the skull, uh, or have contact lenses to bring the computing closer to the body and make it more invisible to the outside world. Um, so, so we've thought through that and our architecture can scale to that, but those other dependencies haven't yet been invented, right? Um, Got it. Got it. And uh, so thinking about the Cognition one and Cognition as a company in, uh, in its holistic approach, so Cognition started from the Speak Pros, which is like an app on an iPad or an iPhone, which people can use to like Cognition One, which is this device with hardware and, and BCI. So how was the transition like from a iPhone app to like making a hardcore device? Well, it's interesting because, you know, we didn't, we didn't go from we did, it wasn't a linear thing, right? So, so we've been working on this solution uh, for years uh, and we've been releasing piece parts of the system in different instantiations uh, in order to validate uh, a lot of our assumptions. So like for instance, the application that's in the market today that's available on the App Store um, includes a lot of different kinds of technology from, uh, you know, infrared eye tracking and facial tracking to gesture recognition and, you know, algorithms and so on. So, so we've been using 
um, mobile applications uh, as a means of providing value quickly to a lot of people uh, and making it possible for them to do things that they couldn't do otherwise or couldn't afford to do with other systems. Um, and it's also enabled us to learn a lot about what people want to do and what they want to say and how they want technology to um, present itself in their day-to-day. -day. And so uh, launching an app like SpeakPros as an example, you know, we have thousands and thousands of people who are on that application right around the world. Um, and they primarily use it for communication, right? Um, we're going to be releasing a new version of it very soon that includes environmental controls. So with an integrated AI assistant uh, inside the app, they'll be able to use um, language, not only to express themselves verbally, but also use language as the interface uh, to control systems, right? So instead of pushing buttons, they'll be able to say things kind of non-verbally so, uh, to the AI. So, you know, when you think about this, then language itself or the concept of meaning, like meaning, is the interface, right? Like I'm controlling things with meaning as, as opposed to um, sort of a rigid structure uh, of, you know, buttons and sort of fixed taxonomies. Got it, got it. And uh, so this, so again, uh, another thing, maybe you could touch upon the BCI uh, aspect of Cognition one more, but what do you think, what makes it, a unique from other uh, AR devices. Like, let's say if there's an AR device and rather than it, like, let's say if there's an AI device and SpeakPros is just an app, what would be the difference between that and the Cognition one? Could you reframe the question again? Sure. Uh, so let's just say if there's another AR device, which is not the Cognition mm -hmm. one, and that has like an inbuilt SpeakPros app, what would be the difference between having an app in an AR device and having an AR device of its own? Like what makes the hardware of Cognition One unique and special? Yeah, so, so we have an AR version of SpeakPros that's going to come with the Cognition One. Um, so it's, it's much more contextual. Um, so if you think about SpeakPros today, it's a two-dimensional flat interface on an iPad or an iPhone. Um, mm -hmm. In the case of Cognition One, a lot of that capability is, is being presented contextually based on where you are and what you're looking at. And if it's day or night, if it's light or dark, um, based on information or systems that are around you, depending on what network you're on, whether you're on Wi-Fi or cellular. So there's a lot of contextual uh, inputs and the way to present um, language information um, for interactivity. Uh, it's a whole new world, <laughs> right? Um, and so, you know, we've built that within our own system. But if, for instance, you know, companies like Microsoft or Magic Leap or, you know, others who have AR systems would be interested in using SpeakPros on, on their AR systems, we'd be fine with that. You know, we could license our applications onto those platforms. We just haven't done it yet. Um, and then as it relates to the differences in hardware, so I was referring to Magic Leap and, and the HoloLens too. They're exclusively, uh, you know, uh, six DOF, uh, six degrees of freedom, uh, AR headsets, right? Like they're only AR. Uh, so uh, there is no uh, biometric, there are no biometric sensors on those systems. Um, there is no BCI on those systems, right? So um, what we've done is 
gone ahead and done that integration to say we can we've built a BCI that is already proven to work with augmented reality um, and can show that our system demonstrates that end-to-end -end system. Um, again, so if you know we're the first to to do that, and 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 I'm I'm not going to say we're the first to look into it because you know, companies like Microsoft have published, you know, blogs around some of the work they're doing regarding, um, you know, research. Yeah, so they've been doing, they have a whole research lab that's been looking at neurotechnology and BCI as, it, as it's related to um, natural user interfaces um, and other things. So, you know, we know those companies are interested in, in the kind of things we're doing, um, but uh, I think for what they're doing, it's much more exploratory what we're doing, there's a defined market that we're going after and we want to bring it to market um, because we figured out that there's kind of a killer application um, that people will really appreciate uh, and value. And there's enabling conditions for the go-to-market for this right now. So we felt compelled not to wait until Magic Leap or Microsoft comes around to provide something like this. We said the market needs it now. There's hundreds of millions of people in the world who will benefit from it. And so we decided to go ahead and push that forward. Got it, got it. So uh, Mr. Forster, how do you see the future of Cognition uh, right now at this point of time where you're getting in the launch of Cognition 1? How do you see the future of Cognition shaping? How do we see the future shaping? Um, I mean, we're extremely tactical right now. So we are, um, you know, what do the next 12 months look like? The next 12 months look like we're in uh, preparation for production for the headset, um, finalizing and, and making the firmware and everything more robust, um, making sure that all the systems that are being integrated um, are robust, uh, that data is secure, um, uh, and that the, you know, it's going to be an affordable, uh, you know, it's going to be affordable for people. Um, we have established already uh, a partnership with a worldwide distributor uh, for the headset. Uh, so we'll be making an announcement uh, in the next month uh, about who that is and the general, you know, where they'll be able to get more information and purchase the system from. Um, so, uh, you know, we're really in kind of getting everything ready for the go to market at this point. Um, you know, we're also uh, doing additional uh, grant funded research uh, on different aspects of the platform. So uh, we have a number of uh, grants um, in different states and statuses uh, in Canada as well as in the US. Um, and we've been building a network worldwide uh, of organizations, foundations, uh, labs, uh, you know, nonprofits that all uh, are connected to individuals with disabilities. Um, and so we're really just kind of preparing kind of that network effect right now to be able to launch the product uh, and um, get it out there. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, I have maybe like a couple of more questions. Maybe this time it's like more non-technical. And uh, my first one, as you pointed out, uh, like, Cognition is based in both the US and Canada, which is Santa Barbara and Toronto. So do you see any difference in the schools of thought, like the American school of thought and the Canadian school of thought, or do you feel like both of them are similar? Um, they're very similar in many ways. Um, 
I've never been asked this question, so I'm kind of thinking on the fly. Just, you know, um, there's, there's a bit more sort of, um, uh, they're a bit more parochial up there and, and a bit more um, sort of polite and um, then, how do I say, uh, there, there's a lot more consensus orientation in, in Canada and in the US it's a lot more of um, moving quickly uh, and mm-hmm. um, taking bigger risks, right? So the, the, the risk profile of a, of a US uh, engineer is different than the risk profile of a Canadian engineer, right? Um, now that's not to say that the caliber of work is any different, right? Like what we found is that um, scientists and engineers and you know non-technical individuals in Canada are remarkably talented uh, you know and uh, um, but I think that the conditions of employment in Canada are different than the conditions of employment in the US right so um, like for instance you know Canadian uh, contracts uh, tend to have uh, longer out terms so if someone uh, is terminated or you know or has severance and these kinds of things like the the employment law in in canada is different than in the u.s where it's much more at will and so if you think about that um as it relates to your mindset when you're going to work for a company um in america there's a uh, an increased level of hunger you know there's tenacity and hunger uh and interest in making um, a big impact quickly um, in the U.S., where we still see people that want to make a really big impact in Canada, um, but they're a bit more methodical about it. So I could go kind of at length about <laughs> about this, but what we found is within one company, uh, we found a way to bridge both of those um, sort of cultural dynamics um, because they're both good. Right. And, you know, you need to have a lot of combustion and a lot of engine, you know, forward motion within your culture um, to push. But you also need to have um, back pressure right on uh, doing things correctly and in the right, uh, you know, you know, orders of operation, et cetera. So. Um, yeah, uh, I think maybe I have a last question, which is that so. Cognition has opened you to communicate with people of various disorders and various inhibitions of communication. So how has that shaped you as a person holistically, like interacting with these people? Um, I think it's brought the heart back into business, right? You know, really aligning, uh, aligning, you know, purpose uh, with profit. So I think a lot of companies, I think a lot, you don't have to work in this field um, to um, identify something that's purposeful or having a mission, you know, but I think more and more companies are going to be bringing their mission and values into their day-to-day decision-making about how they do things and why they do things. Uh, And we're starting to see more and more um, investment um, talking about uh, purpose-driven profits. So I think that's how it kind of shows up uh, in our company. So we, we live as a company by a set of values. Um, and one of those values, as an example, is really around um, inclusion and diversity. 
so uh, we take it very seriously. So we talk about inclusion uh, and obviously we're trying, we believe at a meta level that the world should be more just uh, and more inclusive uh, and accessible. So if you think about a world that needs to be accessible, <clears throat> then we need to have a company that's accessible, right? Uh, if we need to have a world, if we envision a world that's more diverse, then we need to have a company that's more diverse, right? So you kind of have to have integrity between what your vision is and what your mission and how you operate is. And so as an example, we have, uh, we actually have over 50% of our employees are women. Um, and that includes in engineering, right? So, uh, you know, I think that's a statement. We also have um, many, many languages that are spoken natively uh, within the company. Uh, and lots of different um, uh, genealogical cultures that are represented, even though we're a relatively small company. So, um, so we believe that, you know, startups should really consider and have integrity of, you know, what kind of imprint they want to make on the world. They should make that imprint first within themselves and within the company. Yeah, yeah it's honestly, it's, it's been fascinating listening and hearing about cognition and it's been a while since I've seen a startup that's like truly engaged in human values, like always startups and this, the startup culture is always like fast driven, data driven, results driven, but it's, it's, it's honestly, it's refreshing to see a startup, which is like, okay, we're going to focus on a particular human problem and like improving that over a certain period of time. It's very, very, uh, it's a pleasure to listen to you, uh, Mr. Foslin. Oh, well, thanks. And you're asking really insightful questions, um, which is forcing me to think about, <laughs> you know, verbal, <laughs> you know, uh, expressing sort of how, how we've been doing what we're doing. So. Thank you. Thank you so much for this interview, Mr. Forsten. Hope you have a great day and a great weekend ahead. Oh, it's my pleasure. You as well. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. That brings us to the end of this episode. Don't forget to smash the subscribe button, share it with your peers, and leave some feedback and comments as it would help me to improve the podcast. Before we head off in true existential neuron style, let's all don't forget to keep exploring. Goodbye!